Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. In this episode, I talk with Jennifer Russo. She's Senior Director of Corporate Communications and HR Strategy for the largest employer in Arizona, Banner Health. We talked about authenticity and communicating amidst so much uncertainty and crisis. Welcome to The Indispensables. I'm Bruce Tolgan, and I am so pleased to welcome Jennifer Russo, Senior Director of Corporate Communications and HR Strategy for Banner Health. I got to know Jennifer uh, years ago when she was in a leadership role at Rio Tinto, the uh, worldwide uh, mining company, and uh, now she's working in healthcare, uh, leading corporate communications and HR strategy. Uh, Jennifer Russo, welcome to The Indispensables. Bruce, thank you for having me, and how fun to reconnect. I know. It's so cool. And uh, if it weren't for you, I would never have been inside a copper mine. So <laughs> Happy to, pleasure to make that opportunity for you, Bruce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was beautiful scenery. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and I'm so glad uh, uh, that you're now at Banner Health. And uh, uh, we've worked with enough healthcare organizations and I know uh, the mission there is so central. Can you tell uh, our listeners, uh, how did you get to where you are? Tell us about your career journey, uh, how you came to define your personal brand, yeah, sure. One uh, one of my favorite topics. So, um, Bruce, as you noted, um, copper is our connection. So, for about two uh, decades or so, I have led a number of multinational enterprises or MNEs, as they're often referenced, and Fortune five hundreds in a number of areas. Um, you know, thought leadership, media relations, social impact crisis communications. Happy to talk more about that with you later. The last 14 months of my life have been really centered in that space. And my career has, has spanned the public and the private sector. And I've been really fortunate. It's taken me to over almost uh, every content. And for about 16 years, from about 2003, I led the communications and community relations for uh, Rio Tinto. They're the global mining company where that, that owned that copper mine where we, we first met. And, you know, at, at that time, I completely reimagined the way that they did partnering. And, and, you know, Bruce, that was partnering with communities, with employees, with NGOs, uh, and with the media, right? The world was already shifting. And, and I was starting to deal with some really cool issues, particularly around emerging issues and diversity and inclusion, or DE&I as it's framed up now. And, but it wasn't, none of these things were really titled or labeled. So I, I guess what I would say is, is to build a world-class team, you got to be present globally. And that was pre-pandemic. So I was traveling all the time. So fast forward to October, 2018, I, I took a step back and I said, you know, where do I want to go from here? And the opportunities were to move to Brisbane uh, or stay close to home. And I have uh, two boys in my free time that I'm, I'm raising. <laughs> yeah, all your, all your free time. All my free time, ages uh, just just an anointed nine-year-old and almost 14. 
And so when you're revisiting your career, you kind of have to define your personal brand and say, hey, what do I stand for? What are going to be the non-starters for me when I want to make my next move? So it led me to what I'm doing now, which is leading corporate communications and and HR strategy for Banner, as you said in the beginning. And for your listeners that might not know, you know, they're a top 10 integrated healthcare system. They're the largest employer in the state of Arizona. Um, And for the past two and a half years, I've had this really neat opportunity to reshape their communications and and, um, help employees connect to their mission. And, And one of the things I love about Banner is they have a mission that's really simple and it's clear and it's singularly focused and it's to make healthcare easier so life can be better. So who couldn't, um, you know, get behind that? And how, just for perspective, um, how big an organization is Banner? I mean, if it's the largest employer in Arizona. Sure. So we have about 52,000 employees. We span six states, um, but uh, the uh, majority of our presence is here. And, and, and their, their hospitals and what other kinds of institutions are united under the Banner Health banner? <laughs> sure. So they're a fully integrated system or, you know, so said another way, it's hospitals, it's acute care, it's post-acute, it is, you know, skilled facilities, it's outpatient, it's imaging, um, you know, you name the subspecialty, they've got somebody for you. It's um, really the bulk of the workforce is, of course, nurses, about 16,000 team members are nurses. So um, yeah, really, we, we touch just about every part of someone's care journey. We have an insurance division, um, you know, our own product. So it's, it's really cool. And uh, of course, you had experience in crisis communications. I know uh, back when we first knew each other, you uh, told me some great stories about about Rio Tinto. And um, of course, every so often, if if you're um, in, in the in the business of mining, uh, you run into some folks who uh, want your stuff or want to get in your way. And I, know, <laughs> and I know you told me some harrowing stories, uh, but and of course now um, you're uh, you, you know you're le- helping lead a, a healthcare organization through this accident of history, this incredible pandemic. Yeah, it's, I tell you, Bruce, as you said, I mean, coming from the mining business, um, obviously significant focus on safety, but there are um, safety incidences, there are social incidents, and uh, certainly I've been through crises before. What I can tell you is I have never been through a crisis as sustained and long as this one and one where the recovery was unknown. So, you know, when you work in mining, the, the crisis cycle is pretty predictable, even if there is, you know, social unrest. But uh, this has been a really unique experience also because we had this twin goal of, you know, taking care of patients and then taking care of a workforce, you know, that is literally on the front line. So it's, it's really been an incredible opportunity. Right. So, so of course, you have this uh, responsibility uh, for the 52,000 employees over six states. But also, meanwhile, uh, your mission is precisely uh, making healthcare easier during a time when healthcare is so much harder to deliver. Yeah, it is. It, it's absolutely the truth. But I think, you know, what this crisis has done for us is validated that our mission is really um, solid. 
because we've never lost sight of that. You know, it's, it's a very big deal for me. It's a very big deal for us. And I think throughout the crisis and before and beyond, the mindset of the organization is very much community-centric, patient-centric, team member-centric. We call our employees team members-centric. Um, and so I feel like it's all intertwined and the crisis brought all of that, you know, further into focus. And um, you have your own team, of course, within that 52,000. Um, uh, how, how big is your team that you're leading through this process? Yeah. So, you know, when I came into the organization, I had the opportunity to kind of restructure, rescope, refocus, same great people, but just giving them clarity on their roles and empowerment and redefining how we approach the function. So the team is 14 people um, divided across those areas of corporate communications and HR strategy. And it's been so fun to watch them become a true strategic value driver for the organization, right? What a, what a neat opportunity as a leader to watch your people add that kind of value uh, for the organization. Yeah. What's your leadership philosophy? I mean, you're, you're an experienced leader. Mm. Um, how do you approach that uh, challenge? You know, this is what I'll say. I, I think that I believe everyone deserves to be their best self. And I think I bring that philosophy to leadership and as to parenting and to everyday life and how I challenge myself. And I think to be a high performer, you've got to have a high performing mindset. And for a whole lot of reasons, sometimes teams and team members for that matter, I think they don't feel like that's them. I've certainly been there. And so you've got to create space for that to happen. And you've got to let people have the opportunity to show that they can perform. But for me, it's not just technically, it's like, how do you perform in a team environment? You write about this in so many of your books, this ultra high collaboration world we live in, you know, let them show that they can do that. Let them define their own brand. And I mean, that's how I do it. And I think, you know, it might sound like it'd be easy to help people be their best selves, but I think it isn't always, you know, um, sometimes people get provoked or there are things in the work environment that aren't conducive to being their best selves. And so how do you get those bottlenecks and obstacles out of people's way and give them confidence? And, you know, ultimately, I think everybody's got something unique to contribute and that's where my mindset comes in. Yeah, I mean, my experience is, you know, I've never had a real job, but I but I've been doing <laughs> but but I've been doing this for 27 years and my experience is that uh, the hardest thing about leading people is that they're people. You know, people have bad days, bad weeks, bad months, bad people, you know, somebody has a bad moment. And so helping people be their best selves um, uh, is not as it, it's not simple. It's not easy. Uh, maybe it's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And especially with so much stress on the organization, with so much stress on the community, with so much stress on our larger society, um, what lessons have you learned um, leading the communications function and, and being a communications leader during this, during this crisis, during the pandemic? Well... Bruce, I think I could, you know, write a book. So if you're up for another one, I, you know, I, I could, do, but let me try to summarize it for you. And, you know, I am going to actually, I read this great, great quote and I'm going to read it because I think it sums it up. You know, it's from Antonio Gutierrez and he's the secretary general of the UN. And, you know, I have a master's in sustainability 
Um, and so I am, you know, deeply familiar with the UN uh, Sustainable Development Goals. And he said, I, I don't have to read this, he said verbatim, he said, we are in an unprecedented situation and the normal rules no longer apply. We cannot resort to the usual tools in such unusual times. The creativity of the responses must match the unique nature of this crisis. The magnitude of the responses must match its scale. And, and, and I think what I would say is, for me, that quote really resonates because, you know, even before the pandemic, Bruce, we were looking at the different tools and new ways of storytelling and how do we reach this multi-generational workforce and how do we reach a deskless workforce. And um, I think with communication, what we learned um, just alongside the public, quite frankly, is, you know, in the very beginning, the information was constantly changing minute by minute. And in the beginning, we felt super compelled to instantaneously communicate what we knew, right? And it was well-intentioned, but what it really did in the very beginning was create a whole heck of a lot of anxiety because the information was changing every eight minutes. And, and, and it created confusion, I think. And, but, but look, you know, that's why they call it a novel virus. It's new. We're learning every minute, every hour, every day about it. And, um, but that's a puzzle as a communication professional you know, is it better to wait until you're sure or is it better to give people information? That must have been a, a real puzzle. It was an absolute puzzle. And, you know, here's what we ended up doing after some trial and error. You know, we created a couple of consistent communications channels that reached into the organization and that were predictable and consistent and people could count on them. So we started a weekly town hall series and we started a uh, weekly bundle and a huddle and we uh, created all these tools that did a couple things. I mean, they allowed for bilateral conversation where leaders were super transparent and sometimes they said, hey, we don't know, but this is what we know right now. But next Wednesday, you can tune in again. And we started, the other thing we started to do is use a whole lot of video and storytelling. You know, my video team produced something like 165 videos last year. And there was all kinds of things happening in that. You know, our CEO started communicating monthly. People need to know somebody's steering the ship. When we had complex topics to talk about, like personal protective equipment. I mean, nobody knew about masks before this. Um, you know, we didn't just say what we were doing. We had to say why. Here's why you've got to conserve because we need you to be safe so you can take care of, you know, our patients. And so we learned a whole lot about, I would say, consistency, about humanizing, and then about distilling really tough topics. Yeah. And what do you do when, you know, uh, your communication on Tuesday turns out to have been perfectly well-intentioned, but it turns out that uh, it's been overtaken by better information and uh, you need to clarify. H how do you handle that without losing credibility? Well, you know, I, I think it's a great question. Um, you know, I think it's constant communication and it's acknowledging when you know and when you don't know saying so and citing the sources and using data, but it's also marrying up the data with the emotion. You've got to be empathetic. I mean, you know, people's anxieties are high. I think the other thing we forget sometimes, all of us, is we're not just talking to that person. They go home at night and they talk to their spouse and their spouse watches TV or their kids who many times have been home from school for months. Um, you know, so you have to remember, you're not just talking to that individual. 
Yeah, I think that's really true. And, you know, one of the things I've observed over this uh, 12 uh, plus months now, and, um, you know, I've seen this in other cases, sometimes uh, well-intentioned leaders who are trying to be transparent, who are trying to be good sources of information, they get it wrong. Or it may be that the best thinking uh, on Tuesday uh, is overtaken by better information. And um, maintaining trust and confidence, uh, I think, is about communicating um, clearly and, uh, and, and routinely. But it's so hard in an environment where anytime somebody makes a mistake in the facts they present, that's used as a weapon almost to say, ah, you know, this isn't real or something's fake here or they're out to get you or, you know. Yeah, look, I agree. I think it's been one of the biggest challenges of this crisis. Um, and, you know, I, I think one of the things that Banner's done beautifully, you know, they have become such a trusted source for the for their team members, for the public. Um, I think that's a total testament to the internal and external communications um, that that they've led. Yeah, I mean, that's right. If, if you can measure uh, trust in the various constituencies, 52,000 employees, uh, all the communities that are served, then people can look to Banner Health when there's conflicting information. They say, well, what, 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 is, what is Banner saying about this? And I, you know, and I have a colleague in PR who's just done an incredible job in the marketing and, you know, the blogs and the, you know, weekly series to really complement what we've said internally and make sure the public knows they've got to go to source as well for, for accurate information. Yeah. And so many of the people who, who work in your organization, of course, have to be on the front lines delivering healthcare. But I'm guessing that a lot of them are also now working remotely or have been during the pandemic. How has that affected the the challenge of leading, and uh, how has that affected um, the 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 workforce community at, at Banner Health? Yeah, so you know, I'll talk to it maybe Bruce through two lenses. First, I'll talk through it through mine, and then maybe organizationally. I mean, so you know, I go back to my my former life where if I wasn't on the road uh, or in the air, I should say. I was working remote because that was just our culture. Um, I think for me, uh, you know, I'm a believer in team routines. And so I have found it's, it's super important to have regular check-ins with the team and maintain the routines. You know, we have weekly team meetings. I have touch bases with every one of my direct reports. I have touch bases with my next level reports. And so we're not sitting next to each other in the office, but we've stayed connected and really tried to honor those routines. Um, but look, I think it takes adjustment. Um, for me, meeting virtually doesn't hold the same weight as connecting face to face. You know, it's just me. For there is something different from being able to look somebody in the eye and have that connection when you're in the same physical space. I think our team has been under tremendous stress. You know, they're um, they're less visible than a frontline worker, but absolutely vital. Right. We just spent all this time talking about information management and strategies for remote work and supporting people. And they're doing that work. And so, you know, we had to find ways to laugh and we've kind of developed our own subculture. But, yeah, you know, it's not easy. I think going forward for the organization, you know, Banner's incredibly progressive. We were on this journey of, you know, what is the workforce of the future look like um, before the pandemic? So we're not starting at ground zero by any means, but this has certainly thrust us into 
you know, much deeper and faster conversations. Cause when everybody gets sent home at once to work remotely, there's a lot of things you got to figure out. Like how do you support those people, right? What is your technology infrastructure? How do you support those people where they have barriers at home, like childcare? It's a may surprise some, but it's not all that easy to work when you've got kids running around you also trying to homeschool. So yeah. And you guys are the outward facing voice of the institution. And as we were talking about before, um, so of course, you know, you have the challenge of guiding the employee population, the team member population, you have the more acute challenge of guiding your own team. Uh, But then also, uh, meanwhile, there's still the healthcare delivery mission, which is uh, first and foremost, I'm sure for, you know, that's why people go into healthcare usually. And, and it's, it's been, um, it's been really complex because uh, on the one hand, you have these surges of COVID sick people who are hospitalized, who are, you know, using up all the ICU beds and, and the respirators. Then there are people with other non COVID related illnesses who are either not able to get Uh, proper care or afraid to get proper care. Um, And then, uh, you know, of course, in the story arc of this pandemic, um, you know, then there's, there's all the, the competing stories about what's happening and what's really happening and then the vaccine. So that um, as an institution, of course, healthcare delivery is the primary mission, but your mission of helping Banner be a great source, the best source of information about all of these complexities, not just to your immediate team, not just to the uh, team member population of the organization, but to all the communities that you serve. Um, you know, it's, 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 I think, probably the thing that's made people so uncomfortable during this time. At least one of the things has been seeking clarity. I absolutely agree. And, and, you know, I I just have to give a shout out. I have these brilliant peers in in media and marketing, and they have taken this complex information, distilled it. You know, remember, Bruce, we also then, you know, within the span of 14 months, I mean, it's hard to believe, but we also played a significant role in the vaccine rollout. So all the questions we had to answer, you know, we had 18 locations. We've administered over 300,000 vaccines. Um, Wow. Yeah. So remember, you know, people were suspect of the speed with which these came to market and can they be trusted? And, you know, again, another issue where you've got to balance the science and the emotion because at the end of the day, that's the only way this pandemic's going to end. Um, and so it's been uh, really a, a truly joint effort across a number of functions. Yeah, and you have vaccine hesitancy that you have to try to help people overcome uh, so that we can all get past this. And you're fighting sources of disinformation along the way. A hundred percent. And, you know, also, though, being respectful of these different views, um, right? Because uh, sort of like where I talked about, sometimes there's barriers to different things and sometimes there's barriers to adoption of vaccines or practices. And so it's, you know, not just sort of blanket saying, well, why don't you just do it? Because we're telling you it's the right thing. You know, understanding that person's point of view or what things in their background might be influencing their decisions or their distrust and really working that through. Yeah, well, uh, uh, I'm glad you have the patience for that. And yeah, uh, but and so of your uh, of your team, a lot of the work that your team or your teams do 
probably can be done remotely. Ha have a lot of the folks on your team been working remotely? Yes, 100%. And um, that's been, you know, interesting. I, I mean, you know, one of the things it's done is, and this is where the routines come in, Bruce, because the volume of email is pretty wild, right? I mean, it was a heavy email culture before, but of course, you know, that's tough. And I think, you know, the other leader responsibility that I feel is the world's become, um, and I experienced this when I worked, you know, in a global environment. I suspect that, you know, there's lots of conversations about work-life balance, you know, and, and we're kind of back to, I got to tell you, it reminds me of my global life where the world's become a bit boundaryless. And so, you know, for my team, that's also what, you know, I'm, I'm trying to sort through is how do we create those boundaries and turn off work and walk away, especially when you might only be walking 50 feet to the kitchen. So, you know, how do you learn to leave the office? Yeah, because uh, of course uh, there were plenty of issues of boundarylessness when just because, you know, you can uh, be reached on your handheld supercomputer anywhere, anytime. And um, if you're driven, uh, then, you know, maybe you're also driven uh, to respond. But, um, you know, it's interesting because I, what I've found is that, you know, you see there's certainly increased flexibility. There's increased convenience. There's a diminution in travel time and commuting time. Uh, there might even be increased comfort for some people of working from home. And I think we've discovered that a lot more work can be done from home than we thought. But as you were saying before, there's also really something lost in not being together in the same place. One of the things that's lost is, a, is some kind of uh, clear demarcation of what's work and what's not. But, but there's something lost in uh, energy. There's something lost in uh, rapport. There's something lost in um, this sort of almost accidental creative outcomes of working in proximity to each other. Uh, what do you think about that? Have you found that? Mm, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, first of all, it's so funny. I was thinking the other day I had to drive, I went to the office and I thought, you know, this is so funny. We, we used to like complain about the commute, right? And especially in a place like Phoenix, you know, fifth largest city in the country now, population explosion. And, you know, I'd put on my podcast and I'd listen to music and I never thought I'd say it, but I was like, God, I miss commuting in traffic <laughs> because, you know, I could sit and tune out. Um, I agree with you on the energy. I think people, you know, I think it's a real thing, this whole kind of Teams and Zoom and online fatigue. I think it's real. Yeah, I think it's different. And I think one of the things we're doing that's cool is sort of this hybrid approach to work, you know, kind of this work your way concept. There'll be people that will probably be completely remote, but they, you know, we're going to reimagine our offices and give people an opportunity to book spaces and be very high tech and high touch and collaborate in person when it's safe to do it. And I think that's the, you got to do that. I think, you know, this notion of forever not interacting, I mean, we're humans, so I just don't see how that works. Yeah, we're wired to be together. And yet, uh, I also hear a lot of people saying, slow down, I don't want to go back. To all, Bruce, I can only imagine, particularly, um, you know, for multiple generations of people, I think 
it's going to be fascinating because now it's going to become like part of people's talent and recruitment strategy. I got to tell you, Bruce, when I was starting my career, it would be, you know, very sort of, you would not want to dare ask, like, do you have a remote work strategy? It would almost sound like you were less committed. Now, if you don't have one, you're going to sound completely non-progressive. So it's going to be, it's amazing how that's flipped. Yeah, not to mention disaster preparedness. Well, gee, if you don't have uh, a way of facilitating people working remotely, uh, what if this happens again or something cool happens again? And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's funny. The, uh, I've, I've had a lot of uh, business leaders tell me that, well, they're going to reduce their travel budgets and, uh, and, and their meeting budgets, and they're going to reduce their commercial real estate budgets and uh, office space budgets. And, and, um, and that a lot of individuals are saying, well, gee, you know, I used to commute eight hours a week. Um, and a lot of managers are saying, okay, I'll split that time with you. You get four hours, I get four hours. <laughs> yeah. You know, again, it goes back to that whole discussion, right? About what, what are we going to do about, um, you know, what could become a 24 seven environment and how do you make it? And, and this might not be the right word, Bruce, but how do you make it safe again? Cause people need to adjust, right? It's like people can't sustain that. Yes, I think that, um, and and as you say, uh, the the matter of work life balance is um, it's in flux now. You know, the the whole nature of place in workplace is in flux. We were already moving toward uh, a trend. You know, the the trend was already uh, had left the station. Uh, of moving toward uh, remote work, facilitating people working together, even if they were not in the same place. Uh, but I think the pandemic has accelerated that trend by 10 or 15 years, probably. Well, I, I absolutely agree. And I love that statement. It's true. I mean, the, the, you know, your statement about the nature of place uh, being in flux. It's absolutely the truth. Yeah. And not everybody has a sufficiently large home that they and a significant other and maybe a child and a dog, you know, that they can all, the kids do in school. And then the other kid is, uh, you know, lives at home, but has a job and, you know, they have to take turns, uh, you know, okay, I'll go work in the bathroom or, you know, (laughs) we have a colleague and he's the coolest dude. And we have followed the journey of his laundry room makeover for the last 14 months, because, you know, that's where he had to work. Um, not everybody was set up to have a home office either. Yeah. My favorite was, uh, the, the reemergence of the blanket fort. Uh, that is, um, yeah, I can picture that my boys used to do forts. Exactly. So, uh, you know, you have, you have kids, uh, they, they make, they can make a blanket for it for you and then you got your office. I love it. So, uh, what's the story with your team? I mean, are you going to be supporting more of a hybrid model? Oh yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, we've done some surveys, so just like everybody else, we can configure our real estate and, you know, make it, make it conducive to, to their lives and, you know, support what, what they need to be successful. So absolutely, you know, they'll remote, they'll come to the office. It, you know, it depends on what their needs are, what the needs of their, their internal stakeholders are, but, but absolutely, you know, the thing about communications, Bruce, is that it's work that's always with you. I mean, you know, this, right. These, these are never nine to five jobs. They weren't before the pandemic. 
So I've always led that way. You know, your work is always with you. You do your best work. I do anyway. When you feel like you can have, I don't like to call it balance. I, you know, when you think you can juggle your life um, in the way that's best suited for you, then, then I, I'm all for it. You'll be a better employee and you'll be happier. Yeah, well, I'm fond of repeating a, a, a rule that was shared with me many years ago by uh, a military leader who said that uh, communication is really the only tool for leading people, for actually leading people. Communication is the only tool. And so when you get really good at high structure, high substance communication, when you get good at tuning into other people's needs, when you get good at trying to take care of people and help them take care of themselves and help them uh, contribute to the mission in a way that also works for them as a human being, they keep coming back and they have greater trust and confidence in you and in the institution. Right. And, and these are some of the things we've learned. I think we innately knew them. We intuitively knew them. But then when you have to put them into practice, then you see it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, how did you learn to be such a uh, supportive and clarity-driven leader? <laughs> Probably through some mistakes. <laughs> now, you know what? I think uh, when I look at the people that I um, emulated, when I think about career advice that I got throughout my life, you know, that impacts who you are as a leader. And it was things like, hey, you know, be a relentless learner, be empathetic, be curious. I, I think the one for me, Bruce, and it might sound terribly and an, like annoyingly cliche, but I'm going to say it uh, live here on the air. I think the big one, when you ask me about leadership and, and, you know, just career advice in general, I think is be yourself. I think it's the most important thing I've learned throughout my career. So you know me a long time, Bruce, and I have the same kind of natural optimism and sense of humor. And I like to be witty and I like to keep things lighthearted, obviously, when the situation calls for it. But, you know, when I was coming up the ranks and especially as a female, it was like, don't laugh too loud. Don't talk too softly. Don't put your lipstick on. Don't do this. Don't do that. And the thing is, um, that's fundamentally who I am. And so I have this team with all these super cool, uh, diverse people. They have diversity of thought, of religion, of ethnicities, of beliefs, of backgrounds, and, and gender, you know, all of it. And to me, it's like the coolest thing. And so you know, I'm all for, uh, you know, disc profiles and all these cool things that tools. And I appreciate those personality profiles. And I've been psychoanalyzed a million times over. But I think that those are cool to help understand how you can interact with other people that have a different style than you. But I really don't think you should change who you are. I think it's going to be exhausting. And I think people won't like it. And so to your earlier question about team, for me, it's like, show up as yourself and then just be the best version of that. And so what do you need from me to be that? That's really authenticity uh, bottled, right? It's what you're saying is um, as you deviate from authenticity, um, you're going to be less effective. You're going to be, I mean, certainly, you know, sometimes um, uh, people do try to put on their, their professional side when they walk through the door and I think it shows, I think, you know, people can sense authenticity in each other. And, and when, when you value authenticity, you're also valuing difference. You're, you're valuing diversity, you're valuing uh, inclusiveness. 
and, and and I think it's you know all this this talk about you know diversity and I've always said it's it's about all those things it's diversity of thought and opinions you know I've never wanted to be surrounded by a bunch of people that are just going to say yes or not challenge me or say but you know this is how it's going to feel to this particular population um, and you got to value and appreciate those things. Yeah, and I know you've said it's very hard to build influence if you're superficial. And so if you're authentic, if you're transparent, uh, that's that's a huge uh, trust builder, I think, in relationships. And in, in many ways, if you can value other people's authenticity, that's really just a complicated way of talking about situational leadership, really. Well, it is. And, and you know, Bruce, I think at the end of the day, it all starts with listening, you know, because you, you build these relationships and, you know, we talk a lot about, well, in, in healthcare, of course, I'm sure you're intimately familiar, you know, we talk about the patient experience and it's these range of experiences people have right in, in their interactions with us. And we talk about the, it's the same communication in communications, this, this head, heart, head model. Right. And, and so I think it's like, just like with building influence, you've got to appeal to the head and the heart because influence is this emotional as much it is, as it is an appeal-based thing based on data. And boy, was that also something I learned in the pandemic, you know, is that, you know, there is a need to say, hey, we get how this feels and here's why we're doing what we're doing and here's what we're doing. And, you know, it's a life lesson. I'll, ne I'll never forget it. Where did you develop your curiosity, your authenticity, your uh, sense of caring for other people? Where do you think that comes from originally? Like, cause one of the things I'm curious about is, you know, does that come naturally to people or is that something, you know, in other words, you either you have it or you don't, or is that something that can be learned? I think it's both. I think, so I, I think, um, my father, um, was a tremendous influence on me. You know, he passed away in 2007, but he was an incredibly influential leader. And the thing I watched about him, and I remember it from a super young age, Bruce is, you know, he had this admiration and trust of a whole lot of people and he had a lot of influence and he exercised it without being a, a bully. And he was super thoughtful in how he spoke and how he listened and how he took action. And so he, he, and then he had super high expectations for me and, and also for others. And of course, when I was young, I didn't like those high expectations, but boy, now am I glad that, you know, he didn't say I'll take mediocrity as a, you know, that'll be good enough for me. Um, but I think that um, I learned a lot of that. And then look, you get into the real world and you, you, you know, you get humbled through age and through learning and, you know, through making mistakes and being human um, and, and, you know, not mistakes that are going to, you know, be deal breakers or, you know, material to the company, but just like you, you wish you would have done better. And so then you step back and you're like, how can I do better? And then, you know, that's how you do it. And then you link up with people like you and you learn how to do it better. <laughs> that's kind of you to say, well, I will say this, that, you know, I think that people who, uh, declare victory and think they're done learning and growing um, are the ones I try to steer clear of. It's it's the ones who are who who recognize that hey, you know, of course you're going to go into the world and do your very best, and then see, oh, gee, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. It's the people who are always trying to get better, and uh, of course that that means. Uh, if you take that on yourself, a lot of work and also um, the continuous improvement journey, 
uh, sometimes you find yourself a little overwhelmed. You and I were talking uh, before uh, before the interview about overcommitment, and uh, so how do you handle that overcommitment when when you have too much to do and not enough time? Um, nobody's gonna like this answer because I think what I end up doing is just sacrificing <laughs> personally, um, and and you know I want to be honest about that because it's the reality is that's how it goes. I think when it comes to setting priorities and deciding what to focus on, I do you know when I'm at that state of yikes like something's gonna tip, I do and I'm talking about you know professionally I look at you know. What's going to have the greatest impact? I think one of the things I've learned over the course of my career is if you real boil it down, and this is not a scientific number, it's arbitrary, I feel like maybe 10% of the things we're doing every day are going to make a substantial impact on the people in the business, right? And I'm, I made up that number, Bruce. It's grounded in no science and no data, but that's what it feels like as somebody who's been doing this a long time. And so how do you- There's a portion of it. There's a portion. And so for me, when I hit that point of like, okay, there's 57 things due today, I say, what one of these things are gonna, you know, impact us and impact us, you know, pick the pick the metric, financially, retention, recruitment, whatever the thing is I'm driving. And that's what I do. Yeah, and I think you have to. And look, you know, I often say to people, you know, uh, remember uh, some people, their work lives are on the line. Uh, and if, if that's not you, be grateful. But in your case, lives are on the line. You're, you're operating in a mission-driven uh, environment where lives are on the line. And so, uh, you know, I don't think it's an accident that triage uh, comes out of uh, uh, the emergency healthcare environment. I agree with you. It's a great observation. It really is. Um, and so as our time is, is, is nearing an end, uh, let me ask you, if you, you get on the elevator on the bottom floor and you, you got to go to the top and uh, you got that much time to give somebody some advice of how do I get to be more like uh, Jennifer Russo, uh, what's the answer? Oh, boy. I think, um, how do you get to be more like me? You know, this is what I say. You said it. I, I think don't stand still. You know, Bruce, I got my master's of science when I was uh, 42. I, you know, someday I want to get a PhD, um, although I just like actually want to get through a load of laundry one night before 10 p.m. So I probably should be a little less aggressive, you know, but I would say don't stand still. Be be relentless in your desire to learn. You know, Bruce, I, I will tell you, you know, you know, I worked in a super technical industry in mining. I'm in a technical field now. And here's what I'll say. There are parts of my work that people probably perceive me as working smarter and they think that, wow, like she's mastered that craft, but it's because I've honed it. It's like the 10,000 hours principle, right? But there are other areas like I'm in these clinical discussions or operational discussions sometimes. And I feel like I am just going painfully slow because it's not part of the business. I understand. So but that's okay. You know, I say to people, Hey, can you help me learn? Because, um, I need to understand. So I would say be relentless, be optimistic. You know, um, you really do have the ability to impact your out life outlook. And, and like I said much earlier, I mean, just be who you are and then, you know, where be self-aware. Yeah, that's great. I'll tell you something. One of my previous guests who's a long time, uh, friend and client, um, who was a military leader, uh, uh, his name is uh, Greg Langell, and he, he says, uh, practice being the person you're trying to become. So I, it, it's somehow like threading the needle between 
um, be authentic, be yourself. Um, and, and, and I guess be your best self. Your mantra, uh, is another version of that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, don't settle, but don't settle with yourself. Right. You know, um, and I think that's okay. I think it's okay to want more for yourself and to want to be better. That's, that's great advice. Jennifer Russo, thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables. Bruce, it was a blast. Thanks for having me. What a treat to reunite. I'm going to, you know, get back. In our next episode, I'll talk with my longtime friend and client, Craig Anderson, who was the CFO at the Henry Jackson Foundation for the Advancement of Military Medicine and is now the CFO at Operation Smile. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.